All right, it's Sunday morning, and we're talking about Saul and David. Now, what I'm going to emphasize this morning is David's reaction. David's reaction. To Saul's attempts to kill him. David's reaction to Saul's attempts. Attempts to kill him. This is what you and I are supposed to learn from the story of David and Saul. How we should react when people are trying to stop us, calling us names, giving us a hard time, lying about us. It doesn't really matter. God is the one that's in charge of our lives. He said, the scripture says, that he works, well, we are have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of God, who works all things after the counsel of his own will in Ephesians 1 and 11. So your life is being worked, even though you don't think that you're accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish. Has anybody ever felt that way? I'm not accomplishing what I thought I should be accomplishing. Yes, you are. You're exactly where God has placed you. The hardest thing to believe is that when God changes your life, Saul did not care about the fact that God had ordained everything. He had ordained it through the mouth of his prophet Samuel, But Samuel wanted to fight with Saul over, uh, excuse me, Saul wanted to fight with David over what God ordained. He ordained David to be the king of Israel because Saul had misbehaved himself and did not do the will of God in that 13th, 14th, 15th chapters of 1 Samuel. Now, there are verses in the Bible that I want to share with you about this. You've got to get it in your head that everything is the way God wants it in your life as a believer. It doesn't matter how bad it is. My wife has got high blood pressure, and she said to me several times, I hope God has given me this blood pressure so I can learn to believe in him. I hope you can learn that about your own life. I've had to learn that about my life. I just shared with you a while ago that I went through years of of real severe bronchial asthma. People die in Middle Tennessee every year of bronchial asthma because they can't afford the medication. And I came to real close to that. Well, I didn't come close. If I had been supposed to die, I would have died. But thank God he's spared me to preach this word. We have to learn what God is about when he's talking about what he'll do for our lives. I'm going to get to Saul and David, particularly David's response to Saul. David never tried to fight back at Saul. All the time that Saul was chasing David from the 19th chapter of 1 Samuel all the way to the 31st chapter, Saul would be trying to kill David, and David would be trying to save Saul's life. That's amazing. Have you ever had an enemy that's tried to stop you and put you down and destroy you and you're going to be trying to save their life? 
that's hard to get a hold of. I'm going to start by reading some verses in the New Testament. Over here in the 6th chapter of Matthew, no man can, verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot deserve God and mammon or God and money. That that's was my problem was for years. I was trying to serve money and I was unhappy that I wasn't making the amount of money that I thought I should be making. Therefore, I send you, take no thought for your life. Now, notice what this is about. What you shall eat or what you shall drink. It's about food and drink, isn't it? Nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. That's clothes, isn't it? What you eat and drink and what you, when the clothes you wear for winter and for summer. Is not the life more than the thickness of the steak than meat or the body than the clothes that you're wearing? It don't matter whether you have a three-piece suit with a watch fob and a tie. I don't even like suits. I don't want to be buried in a suit. Suits are, they become a, become an idiom for big businessmen. You'll notice in movies, they'll say, well, the suits came in. They meant fancy men that come in. And that's a word for people that are high rollers, suits. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, and they do not gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air. You think he's not going to take care of you? Are you not much better than they? You think God don't think you're better than the birds of the air? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Let me put it this way. Which of you, by taking thought, merimnao, M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. That's the word in the Greek, M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. It means to be distracted from the things of God by the things of this world. It means to be, have your eyes moved away to the wrong thing. Which of you, by taking thought, if taking thought will help you, anybody has problems they think they need to get over? Well, you don't. (laughs) If we do, we can all gather in a circle. We'll move all these tables back, and we'll put a great big circle, and we'll say, okay, now we're fixing to uh, fix... Um, Phil's worries and I'm going to say on three we're going to count to three and everybody strain as hard as you can go Uh, did you fix Phil's worries okay let's go to the next person that's nothing you do will stop what God has ordained in your life nothing then he goes on to say and why take your thought for clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow They toil not, neither do they spin. The word spin means to spin clothing. Back then they used a spinning wheel and they were going to make clothing, so they do that. They don't, birds of the air don't spin on a spinning wheel to make their clothes. And yet I send you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not as arrayed as one of the birds of the field. 
Wherefore, if God will so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of Oligospistus? Little faith, puny faith. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? What is he, what's the subject here? Food and clothing isn't it and eating that's all the subject is then he says for after all these things the gentiles seek for your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things god knows what you need and what you need is not what you want but seek ye first the kingdom of god this is the hardest thing for us to do seek z-t-o z-e-t-e-o Z-E-T-E-L. It's another word for worship. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. While you're instead of worrying about what you have or what you don't have or how somebody's beating you out of something, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. While David was chasing, being chased by Saul, David never veered or turned away from seeking the welfare of Saul. And he was seeking God in his righteousness. And when you seek him in his righteousness, all these things. Now the Pentecostals will say Cadillacs and big houses and big homes. What's the subject here? Food, clothing, just food and clothing and what you need to drink. He said that's all you need. So, he says, this is what you'll have. All these things will be added to you. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. Merimnao. Do not be distracted today about what's going to happen tomorrow. Your whole life can change tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. When tomorrow gets here, your whole situation is going to change. And there will be plenty to worry about tomorrow when it gets here without worrying about it today. For the... Take no thought. And sufficient unto the day is the evil of tomorrow. There will be enough evil to go around when tomorrow gets here without you worrying about where you're going then today. It doesn't matter. If the Lord says, Behold, I'm with you all the way to the end of the world, then what you need to learn is just depend on God and say, Whatever you want for me. Boy, this is hitting me in the face. This is bouncing around. Sometimes the offerings will go down. I'll say, How are we going to pay all these $12,000 a month TV offerings if people quit giving? And I have had to learn to accept whatever comes is fine. It don't matter what comes or what goes. It is the will of God in our lives. Can we get a hold of that? Now, I want us to look at the sixth chapter of Luke. He says much the same thing here. These are synonymous gospels, and Luke's going to say the same thing. This Luke, Matthew 6, you've heard me say this many times. Matthew 6, and Luke 6 
are sister chapters. Sister chapters. And you have in the Gospels, you've got the Synoptic Gospel. They're called the Synoptic Gospels because they have a synonymous viewpoint. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You need to read and learn what these chapters are. And you'll usually have right beside in the margin, if you've got a Bible like mine, it'll have the other verses that are applicable to this in another gospel. Like if you're studying uh, prophecy and you're in Matthew 24, 24, then you need to look at Mark 13 and then Luke 21. This is all about the end of time, those right there. And you've got other Gospels. You've got the, in Matthew 5, you've got the Beatitudes. And you also have the Beatitudes in Luke 6, over here. That's the same chapter that it's a sister to over here in Matthew. Learn that. Now, let's go over here to Luke 6 chapter. Here in Luke 6, the Bible's talking about what you're supposed to do with your enemy is what David did with his enemy. While Saul was trying to kill David, David was trying to save Saul's life every time he got into trouble. It's amazing you can find out how you're supposed to live and act when the world is out to get you, you think. The world is not out to get you. They're out to move up the ladder uh, in order to make more money, get position and prestige. And if if uh, they can't get up the ladder, they'll walk on you if you're in their way on their ladder. They, the world has built the ladder of success. Have you learned that? That if they have a ladder over here, and you got all these morals, and this is the ladder of the world, and you decide you want to go climb the ladder of the world, they're going to be kicking you off those rungs before it's over with. Because if you got all these morals and you want to take it into business, or you want to take it into music, they don't want it. They want their morals, which is very little morals. They don't mind if you cuss. They don't mind if you drink. They don't mind if you take drugs. They just don't want you messing with their life. Anytime you feel like somebody's out to get you, it's not you they're out to get. They have a lot of jealousy because they want what you've got. Have you learned that? That's true in music, isn't it, Dwayne? Everybody wants what you've got. <laughs> and God says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Take no thought. I'm with you. Just seek my kingdom and me, and everything's going to be okay. And you see, yeah, but God don't understand this part. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't. He didn't know how to take care of three million people in a desert because it didn't have any water, didn't have any food. So he gives them doves in the morning and or bread in the morning on the ground. It's called manna. And he gave them doves in the evening and he gave them water out of a rock. You say, he won't do that for me. He does some miracles that you can't really believe can happen in your life. Look here in, in Luke. Luke, the sixth chapter. And let's start reading here in verse 27. 
is you got the Beatitudes right before that. Beatitudes are the blesseds. When you see Beatitudes, it's the blesseds. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you want to know how to be blessed? Read the Beatitudes. Blessed Makurios, M-A-K-K-U-R-I-O-S. It means fortunate. You're fortunate when the world hates you. Let's back up and read here in in Luke 6. Let's back up instead of starting in 27. Let's go back here. Let's go back to 20. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said unto his disciples, Blessed be ye poor. Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor is the word tokas. P-T-O-C-H-O-S. That's the way David was concerning Saul. It means emptied out. Now, God may have to destroy your life like he was destroying mine. I wanted to be a famous singer, and I wanted to be a rich real estate agent. I wanted to invest to have all these things. But I didn't know how to back up and leave everything alone. Do I believe in working hard? Yeah, I've had a work ethic all my life. I work harder than most people. But I don't believe working so hard that what you're doing is you're going to destroy your health. I don't believe in that anymore. I used to. That's one of the things that nearly got to me. Now, he says, Blessed are ye, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, that's amazing because he says, Luke says, Yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Nothing. You can look in these dictionaries. And these encyclopedias look up kingdom, and they'll tell you kingdom. Kingdom of God is a term for Israel. Now, how these preachers can say, don't believe in spiritual Israel. Well, if you are poor in the spirit and God empties you out, then you are an Israelite of the heart. I don't know how they can get around all these things. Because people don't like spiritual Israel, even though the Bible says... uh, a circumcision is of the heart and not outwardly. And there in Romans, the second chapter, and Ephesians, the second chapter, and in Colossians, the second chapter. Now, he says, Blessed are, blessed, remember, blessed, Mercurius, you're fortunate. Bless ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Well, the way Matthew puts it, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's not saying, Blessed are you when you're starving to death. That's not what he's talking about. If you're hungering after righteousness, you'll be filled. But there's something funny about that because if you're hungering after righteousness, you're hungering after it no matter, no, regardless of the cost. But if you're hungering after righteousness, here's what you're hungering after. Look at Matthew. Look at Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'll just kind of thumb back and forth here. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And verse 11. Blessed, Macurios, fortunate, 
are you when men shall revile you? Aniezo, O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. You're fortunate when they defame you, make you infamous. Infamous for what reason? Well, let's keep reading here. Blessed are you when men shall... Well, let's look at verse 10 first. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you're hungering after righteousness, you have to be hungering to be persecuted. Or you have to be hungering for righteousness regardless of the cost. And it will cost you your fame. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you on Idzo and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil when they lie about you. Has anybody been lied about here? Besides, I've been lied about so many times I can't count it. That all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Not blessed are ye when men shall lie about you but when you lied about for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you now go back over here to Luke I may be flipping back over there then he says in verse 22 blessed are ye you're fortunate when men shall hate you when they shall separate you from their company, when they pull away from you, you're blessed. A lot of people are embarrassed if they witness out in public because they don't want to be embarrassed and they don't want to be put on the spot and people laughing at you say, he's religious and he's a well, a Christian and uh, say all manner of evil against you. He said, you're blessed when they separate from your company and shall reproach you. That word reproach, anidzo, means to be infamous. They make you look like you're foolish out in public or where you work. And they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. See, David didn't care what Saul was saying about him. He was accusing David of trying to steal his steal his kingdom when it was Samuel the prophet had been told by the Lord to go to the house of Jesse I've chosen me a king among his sons since Saul is rebellious when you've been accused of things and you haven't done it just I had somebody ask me these last two days I don't remember which day it was but they said, well, what do I do when people are lying about me and they send these things about me? I said, you be the Christian that you can be. You don't have to go rip and tear them apart. David never tore down Saul when he was trying to kill him. And Saul was a real, he was a case. Then he says, when they cast out your name as evil, has anybody had that happen? It's happened to me a bunch of times here at Grace and Truth. Rejoice in that day when people put you down and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven when they hate you, when they reproach you, when they cast out your name as evil and they separate from you because of the way you live your life for Christ. For 
in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto them, to you that are rich in this world, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are rich in material things. You've got your paraclesis. P-A-R-A-K-L-E-S-I-S. It's a construction of para and kaleo. It means comfort. To call somebody near means to comfort them. They say your comfort, God says your comfort is your money. That's your comfort. You get to grow old with a bank full of money. And that's a terrible thing to live for. I know I've lived for that. Then he goes on to say, Woe unto you that are full. You're full of this world's goods. You're going to hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now. They have these people. They have this laughing thing in the Pentecostal movement. And they just sit around going, ha, 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 and call it spiritual laughter. The Bible says there's a cry of damnation against you. The word woe is O-U-A-I. Woe me, it's a cry of damnation. One of you that are full. One of you that have all that you want in this flesh. One to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe, I, unto you when all men speak well of you. Well, they spoke well of Billy Graham, didn't they? All the world liked him. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. There was a prophet when Jeremiah was walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and his name was Hanani. And Moses and Jeremiah was telling Israel, you're going to be carried away to Babylon for 70 years. And Hanani was out there saying, no, 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 that's not true. You're not going to be carried away for 70 years. You're going to be gone for two years. And God tells Jeremiah, you tell Hanani, I'm going to kill him before this year is up. And God did exactly that. If you go against the preacher, if I'm the preacher of God and you go against me, that ball bat that's hitting you in the head is not going to be me. That'll be God beating you up. But I say unto you, which hear, which hear. Now, who's going to hear? Which akuo is the word hear. I say unto you, warn you, let me see here. But I send you that here. Love your enemies. Boy, <laughs> this is hard. This is really hard. Love. Agape your enemies. Agape. Now, agape is a relationship that fathers had for their families. That sons and fathers had for each other it was a relationship how do you get that Jim well here's a this is 34 pages 
on the word agape out of Kittle's New Testament Dictionary of Greek Words. It has the most, it's 34 pages just on agape. I've said this over and over. From the analysis, we learn that love in the Old Testament is basically a spontaneous feeling which impels to self-giving. In relation to things, the seizure of the object could awaken the feeling or to the performance of the action in which pleasure is taken. Love is an inexplicable power of soul and given in the inward person. One loves with one's heart, soul, and strength in Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Love and hate are the poles of life. One is the opposite of the other. The power of love, he's not talking about phileo. Phileo means affection. The power of love is directed to the persons so that the numerous statements about love for things or actions seem at once to belong to a weaker or more metaphorical usage. In other words, it's not for stuff. Then he says, for the authors of the Old Testament, the love of God is always a correlative of his personal nature, just as love for him is quite strictly love for his person, only for his word or law of or temple, on this basis of love for his person. Let me read a couple more of these to you. Got a lot to say about it. He says, love is the development or the latter, conversely, as a weakening of the former. There would be no doubt what a comparison of the passages implicate the possibility of love of enemies as well being incorporated into the command in love in Leviticus 19 and 18. Then, let me get on to some more of this. The most, For the most part, only collective objects of the love of God are mentioned here. Certain types of persons, such as fellow citizens, the pure in heart, those who seek after righteousness whom God loves, are directs as does a father his son. I've told you that over and over again. Again, the pedagogic debasement of the father-son relationship. Pedagogue means what is unnecessary. It's not even necessary to even say this is a father-son relationship. That's the way they understood it. Then he says over here, I'll give you a couple more of these. The names of children, non-beloved, not my people, gives us an insight that the attitude of the husband is, of course, far from passive or supine, that the adulterous wife is lightly playing with fire, that she is unsuspectingly moving towards the fate of one who is accused by her own children. Then he says, Hosea seeks to understand the rule of God He pulls down the structure of the covenant theory in order to lay bare its foundation in the love of God. He's pulling down everything that's material. God's love and other motifs which cause us to think of liberty, uh, think of fatherly love, it's of fatherly agape. Although the actual terms father and son are perhaps deliberately avoided, we are simply given a picture of fatherly instruction. Let me read a couple more of these to you. I've got something here I've got to get to. 
I've got so much on this out of these 34 pages. I'll read you this one particularly here. These are shown to consist in privileged status of Jacob as compared with Esau. The misfortune of Esau, Edom, Edom was the land of Esau, just below Israel, discloses that he is hated by Yahweh or by Jehovah. Whereas Jacob should learn to regard the fact that he is spared the same fate as a proof of the love of God. If the use of the usual marital terms may have had some influence in producing this antithesis, there is still every reason to deplore the distortion of the thought of love in argumentation. Yahweh, or Jehovah, loves because he hates. You can't love without hating. What would you call love if there was no hate? You'd have to call it. It would have no definition. I can't even say a word. If you don't have any down, you have no up. Do you? How could you call something up if everything was down? How could you call something sweet if there was no bitter in the world, what would you call sweet? Uh, it would have no definition. How can there be wrath without, how could there be God's wrath without God's mercy? You'd have no definition for mercy if there was no wrath. So God has to create his own wrath. He creates everything. He said, I make peace and create evil. He has to have evil to have righteousness. Even the thought of the Father is mutilated in this book. It is expounded as a legal claim against the priest. If then I be a father, says Jehovah to them, where is mine honor in Malachi 1 and 6? That's right after he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Or it is almost completely reduced to a relationship of service such as obtains between a father and a son. That's what agape is. I've said that how many times? I haven't read it out of here. And the son who works in his father's business, and he gives his son his business, and he takes his business. That's out of Kittle's New Testament of Greek words. And it's a 10-volume set, and it has an index volume. And when you look up agape in the index volume, it'll take you to... Page 21, I believe it is, to 55. It's 34 pages just on agape. It's a father-son relationship. Now let's keep reading here in Luke 6. That's what David had towards Saul. Saul Saul had a phileo desire because he wanted to hold on to his throne even though Solomon, even though Saul, I'll get it in a minute, even though Samuel said God's taken the throne from you and given it to your neighbor who's better than you boy if we could learn that in our life if you have had something taken from you you're not supposed to have it I don't care how it was taken you are where you're supposed to be you know that don't you you have what you're supposed to have if you're black you're supposed to be black if you're white you're supposed to be white that's the will of God If you're yellow, you're supposed to be yellow. If you're brown, you're supposed to be brown. If you're red, you're supposed to be an American Indian. 
You're supposed to be. God birthed you there and planned it. Be thankful for all of it. Now, he says over here, Blessed are ye in the sixth chapter of Luke. Which verse was I in? Okay. But I say unto you, love your enemies. That is agape. And the Bible says this is agape, Second John 6. This is agape that we walk after God's commandments. You say, well, that's too hard to do. Well, wait till I get through and you're going to think it's really hard. Anytime you have an imperative command in the group, in the New Testament, given by Jesus, it is a command from God. When he says, I've said this so many times, I don't know how many times to say it. When Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Why is it they can't enter in? They're serving the wrong Jesus. You got to check out which Jesus you serve. If the Jesus you serve is a selfish Jesus, that's that outer man that just wants his way. The inner man is Christ in you, and he will dictate you to do his will regardless of what your enemies are doing to you. You're not supposed to retaliate to your enemies. Now, the Bible talks about the talks about the golden rule right here in this chapter. We're about to read it. The gold, what's the golden rule? Do unto others as you as they do unto you, only do it first, right? <laughs> no, no, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So what David wanted from Saul. What he wanted was Saul to be a gentle, kind man, but he wasn't. So David treated him the way he wanted to be treated. He was looking out for his life, and Saul was trying to trap him at every turn. Now let's read. continue reading here. Blessed, ye, blessed bless them that curse you. Now who gets to define the word bless? Do you get to define it? Does that mean you bless them that curse you? You go, God bless you. Is that what that means? No. The word bless is the word eulogeo. E-U-L-O-G-E-O. This is a construction view. It's our word eulogy. When you say a eulogy over a dead person in a casket... You're going to say good words. He was a wonderful man. He did this. But that's really a lie. The well words are you logos. It means well words. What are the well words? The word of God. Say the truth to people. Let every man say truth unto his neighbor over there in Zechariah, the eighth chapter. You say the truth regardless so many people are afraid of saying the truth, afraid they're going to be put on the spot. Now, he says, Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. That's what Saul was doing to David. Despitefully, he's trying to kill him. 
pray for them. Now, what? Who is? Who gets to to define the word prayer? Do you get to define it by your feeling or thoughts, or does God's word for prayer? Uh, do we have to go with that? Well, we we don't even know what to do with our enemies. Pray. The word pray is the word prosuke, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-E. It is the, that's the verb, and the noun is prosukomai, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. And that's the verb form there. It com- comes from the word pros and U-K. It means to will or desire forward. Pros is our word pro. It means toward or forward. It means to bow to the will of God concerning your enemies. How are you going to pray for them? Lord, if they belong to you, do whatever you have to do to get a hold of their life. And Lord, if you really want them in your kingdom, bring whatever trials you have to to cause them to to bow to you and do what you want. That's how you pray for somebody. You don't say, God, give them ice cream and cake and give them a new car. And then, Lord, help them to get that new house that they want and lust with with all their heart. That's not praying for somebody. If you really care for somebody, you're going to say the words that they need. That's just like striving. Whenever, if I say you need to strive, that don't mean nothing. But when Jesus says, strive, agonizomai, I'm writing too many ends. Agonizomai. That's the agon. The agon was the arena where they would fight and they would wrestle and the Christians would be turned over to the lions. I think I got it here. Christians would be turned over. This is the agon. Here's the agon right here. Right there. That was the agon in the arena, and the Christians would be taken in here and fed to the lions and put in there with the gladiators while they were slaughtered. The Bible says, agonizomai. It's our word agonize. It is an imperative command, and that's just one of the imperative moods. So you have to keep the commandments of God and say his commandments. Now let's keep reading here. Give to every man that asketh of thee. You mean you can just ask for anything you want? No. Ask. Remember the word ask? I-T-O. A-I-T-E-O. And we receive the things that we ask from God if we if we keep his commandments. So if somebody's asking of you, they have to believe be believers keeping the commandments of God and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Do pleasing. Somebody just can't come up to you and say, can I have your car? Or are you going to be coming to church and you're loving God and are you going to be fighting for his commandments? Keep, tereo, means to guard against loss. You're going to guard God's commandments against loss. So you don't just give anything to anybody that wants it. If they're just wanting it to fulfill their flesh, they have to be believers. And if it's somebody sincerely desiring to please God, then you do that. 
you give it to them. Not even wanting it back again. And do the things that are pleasing. You, Oresco, E-U-A-R-E-S-K-O. You, Oresco, means well-pleasing. Well, what is it that's well-pleasing to God? Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If somebody is giving their bodies a living sacrifice, they're taking their cross and dying daily. I'm not saying don't help somebody along the way that's poor. I'm simply saying when people start wanting a handout, find out if they are giving their bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, acceptable the word aresco, aresco, and it is a form of you aresco, and it means pleasing. A living sacrifice to God is a daily cross. Now, when somebody just wants to come and ask you, they have to be a believer in order to be asking. And any time I find somebody that's poor, I'm always willing to give to them. I will give to the enemy food. I give to my worst enemy food. If they're hungry, I'm not going to let anybody starve around me. I'm going to give them food. If they need a way to get to work, I'm going to try to help them find a way. We've given away about 15 cars in the last seven years here. I don't mean they were new cars. They were used cars. We had some donated to the ministry. And I've always got somebody that needs a car. They were seven, $800 cars, $1,000. We've given up to 1500 to, uh, $1,500, maybe $1,600 for a car to give to somebody. Had one lady got mad because we took money to get her a car, but before we could get her before we got enough to get a car, I had a, a real nice car donated. So I said, well, you can't have the money and the car. I've got other people that want cars. And she got mad and said I stole her money because I gave her a car that was in super good shape. It was 2003 model, I believe. And it was like new. I'm not going to, you can't order the ministry what you want for yourself. We'll give you, we'll help you, but we're not going to abuse other people to let you have your way. Now, let's get back to the scripture here. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, don't ask it again from him. He knows what he's got that belongs to you. Then, you ought to. Good, the the uh, golden rule here it is in verse 31 and as you would that men should do to you do you also to them likewise whatever you want men to do to you and that's what David was doing with Saul for if you love them which love you now let me show you something here you see this word love it's agape now, you can have an evil agape. I preached a message with it one time. Agape is walking in God's commandments. But if you have an evil agape, you'll walk in the commandments of the man you're trying to make time with. Uh, I brought out the, the subject that uh, 
the mafia has an agape. When you go into the mob, you have to take this paper burning in your hand, and you say, if I divulge the the secrets of the mob or the mafia or the outfit, whichever wherever you are, that I will burn like this paper is burning in my hand, and you're actually taking a vow never to tell on them. You're going to walk in their agape. That's an evil agape. He's talking about it right here. If you agape them which agape your laws, what thank have ye? What charis? What grace? You're not being gracious if you just keep the laws of the guys that you're trying to climb the ladder with, if that's all you do and you don't look out for the poor, what grace have you for sinners also agape those that agape them? If you're in the music business, you've got to walk according to their rules. If you don't, you're out. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. If you're in any business and you're going to work for a company, you've got to go by their rules, their agape. And if you do good to them, which do good to you, and that's all you do, what's the word good there? It's the word agathos. What is beneficial? If you only work with somebody... That and you're only going to help them that's going to benefit you. You do not have the love of God in your heart. Unless you reach out to people to take care of people. Well, I don't like their attitude. Well, that's too bad. Maybe they don't like yours. Usually when somebody's in need, let me say this real plain. When Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the bruised. Usually when somebody is emptied out and their heart is broken and they're crushed in life, the word bruised means crushed. When somebody has been crushed in life and they have all these problems, usually they come from a real bad background with a real bad childhood and you and I are supposed to be teaching them how to become Christians, and they still got a lot of selfishness in them. And it don't mean I'll help somebody when they get their life straight. Well, they're not going to need it when they get their life straight. They're not going to need your help then. They need it now. I just don't like them. You got the wrong attitude about Christianity. David had the right attitude. He was trying to save Saul's life while Saul's trying to kill him. And David never had one bad word to say about Saul. Not one word. He said, he is the Lord's anointed. Nephew, Abishai, don't touch him. If God wants Saul dead, God will kill him. While Saul, they trapped him twice. Trapped him in a cave once. David could have killed Saul. But he said, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. The Lord anointed him, even though he's chasing me all over the country. Have you ever felt that way about your enemies that just cursing you with a blue streak and they want to stop you and we'll get you, Jim Brown? I have learned to leave those people in the hands of God. Have you had a hard time overcoming that? 
Now, let's read on here. If you do good to them which do good to you, what grace do you have? For sinners also do the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, if you only give in to somebody you hope to get it back again or get some interest on it, what grace do you have? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Love your enemies. Agape them. Walk in the commandments of God concerning your enemy. What, when you walk in the commandments of God, one of my favorite commandments of God that is an imperative mood is in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. When people say, you need to love your enemies. Well, how about this right here? Okay. Ephesians. Let's look and see this imperative command. I've said it. I don't know why nobody's ever said anything to me. This is the same thing as any other imperative command. Same thing as strive. All right. Here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4. He's given us instructions how we are supposed to act and do. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying. Don't embellish anything. Don't build it up to something it is not. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. Tell him the truth, the blunt, unabashed truth. Don't try to fix it where you can convince him. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry. There's an imperative mood. It's from the scripture itself. It means, what is that about? It is about the winds of doctrine from verse 14. That he says in verse 15, speak ye the truth in love, in agape. That is saying, while you are telling the truth, be walking in the truth yourself. Don't just tell the truth with your mouth. If all you do is tell the truth with your mouth and you're walking in, you're not walking in charity, which is agape in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, you're making a noise. That's all you're doing. If you're not walking in the commandments of God, now when somebody, this verse in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, when these people walking around preaching every wind of doctrine by the slight of men with cunning craftiness, they lie and wait to deceive the world in verse 14. Here's what happens to them, and this is what you're supposed to be angry at. You're commanded to be angry at preachers who are lying in wait to deceive, and they're preaching another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And he says up here that these people, this I say therefore, and testify, verse 17, that ye henceforth not walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. Mateates. M-A-T-A-I-O-T-E-S. M-A-T-A-I-O-T-E-S. Mataotes means to, in a transient way, don't let your mind wander here, there, and yonder. He said it's in the vanity of your mind 
having under, having your understanding darkened. When your mind wanders around, you go from church to church and listen to all these false teachers, then your understanding is darkened and you're being alienated from the life of God through ignorance of men, of these ignorant preachers. That is in them because of the blindness of their heart. These preachers that don't tell the truth, they're blind. Who being past feeling, this is what happens to the believer when they listen to these men that cause you to wander around from place to place. They're past feeling, apalgeo, A-P-A-L, G-E-O. They're apathetic. Preachers that are preaching this are preaching apathy. Apathy comes from pathos. Pathos means to it's a it's a pain. It's a feeling. When you place the alpha in front of pathos, it it is apathy. It means they don't have any feeling about the truth. This is what you're to be angry at. So if you love your your brother, you will love him to the point that you don't want to spare any words with him. You're going to say the truth to him. I've had people come to me and say, what do I say to somebody? It's like this. I say, be blunt with him. Don't get your anger involved. Don't be abrasive to them. But be plain. You know how long it took me to learn to be plain? I, was pro- I mean, really, really plain. If you ask me something, I'll tell you the truth. If you ask me something about what you've heard and you think that what you've heard is right, and if I know it's wrong, I'll say, that's not true. I'll say it that quick. I've probably said that to some of y'all, that is not true. Said it just like that, and then I'll explain it if you want to hear it. We need to be plain with one another. Do you ever have those feelings that you want to say something and you're afraid to say it? Uh, you ever have that? Well, say it. If they're going to get mad, let them get mad. If you know it's true, then I don't do Christmas. It's paganism. Did you know that? Don't get mad at them. Because maybe they're innocent in their understanding and they didn't know it. I don't believe in free will. I don't believe you can accept Christ. I'm always looking for a place to say those things. And I say them once in a while. I'll say that's not true. If you're going to be Christ-like, and we're predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, we need to do that. Back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians. And that's where he says, putting off the former conversation in verse 22 and the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is what you're supposed to be. This is the way David was. And put on the new man, in verse 24, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, therefore, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. What is this talking about? Be angry and sin not. Be angry at the winds of doctrine. The word is orgizomai. 
and that's masculine gender. The orgay is feminine gender, and the orgay is the anger of a covetous man who wants to get even with somebody. And David never was angry at Saul and wanting to get even with him. He's always defending Saul. He never had one bad thing to say about Saul, not one thing. And he was being David's enemy, but David was being his friend. And David would, when he trapped him one point, he looked out over an expanse and he said, Saul, why have you been trying to kill me? I've never done anything but loved you. I've told people that's come here that I never did anything but try to love some people that's come here and they went out spinning tales about me. Never had anything bad to say about them. And I don't, and regardless of what they may think, I don't say bad things about you now. I don't want you coming here if you're going to keep sowing these lies that you sowed. I don't want you being here and doing that here. But if you want to do that, go down the street and do it, okay? Go down to a Baptist church and do it. Maybe that will help you. All right. Now, let's get back to David and Saul. We're talking about the things. It's going to take me a good while to get through all this because this is what your attitude is supposed to be when somebody's giving you a hard time. Do you try to fight them back? You're not supposed to. Well, that's hard to come to, isn't it? Somebody's been nasty to you and put you down and said all manner of evil against you. You're to rejoice and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. I don't see many people smiling at that. Does everybody, does everybody have a hard time with that? When somebody gives you a hard time, you don't want to put them down. We're not supposed to be doing that. Go back over here. The best example of the actions of a man and how he's supposed to be is the way David was when Saul was chasing him, trying to kill him. Because he thought David was trying to steal his throne. This is what amazes me. Saul thought David was trying to steal his throne. And Saul, the way he acted in the 13th, 14th, 15th chapters of of First Samuel... God took the throne away from Saul. And he told Samuel, who was the prophet, was the mouth of God upon the earth. And he told Samuel, his mouth, you go tell Saul, I'm through with him. Now, this is from God. And I'm going to appoint this person down in the house of Jesse to be my king permanently. And he went down there and the eighth son of Jesse was David, and God says, this is him, anoint him. And because God orchestrated this whole thing, guess what Saul is mad at? He bypasses the will of God and says, I'm going to kill David because he thinks he can take over my throne. It wasn't David's idea. It was God's idea. When something happens in your life, that's not the idea of the people that's hurting you. That's God's idea. Well, we can't get, that's the hardest thing for believers to get through their mind, isn't it? This is what God wants in my life. What's your reaction supposed to be? Kind, gentle, meek. 
if I do that, people are going to run over me. No, they won't. You know why? They don't know anybody like that. They don't know anybody that's gentle to them every time they curse them. I did a soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words stirreth up anger. You'll never get anywhere with grievous words attacking your enemy. Never. I've learned that. I can make people back away by saying, Oh gosh, I'm really sorry. Even when I wasn't wrong, I'll say I'm sorry. Do you do that? Have you learned that yet? People don't know what to do with, well, gosh, I'm really sorry I didn't mean to do you wrong. I apologize. I'll try not to do that again. Okay. You know what people do with that? They don't know what to do. They don't know people like that, that are godly. You usually have to get older to find that out. Now, let's go back over here to 1 Samuel. Saul had a bad attitude about everything and everybody. I don't know why God picked him out. Well, I know one reason he picked him out. He was of the wrong tribe. And it was God that picked out Saul. And Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And the king can't come out of Benjamin. God says, I've chosen me a captain over you. And it was Israel. It all goes back to Israel. Israel said, give us a king to rule over us. Because we don't like Samuel's sons. He's got two sons that are wicked. Well, maybe that was Samuel's fault because he didn't take time to raise his sons. Just like the sons of Eli. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked, evil sons. And wherever you find people are evil, God will stop them. If somebody's messing with your life and they've lied about you and caused you money or caused you something in your life, how are you supposed to react to that? Like, Jesus was he lied about yeah they said he blasphemed God by calling himself God they crucified him because he said he was God was he God yeah were they lying about him yeah what did Jesus say he said in Luke he's on the cross dying and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do but that's going to have to balance with everything else because there was a bunch of people out there in the crowd that were intermixed with the crowd that were elect of God. He's not saying, forgive the whole entire crowd that's crucifying me. He's saying, I've got a people out there that's part of my elect family, and they're shouting, crucify him with these other evil vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. If Jesus had said, forgive them, he was saying, forgive everybody that's crucifying me, including the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He wouldn't say that. That doesn't fit with the rest of the Bible, does it? He couldn't be saying that. He's only saying, those people that have fallen in with these evil people, forgive them, Father. Because if he forgives, he's got to... Remember, forgiveness offenses. You know, sometimes the word forgive is aphesis is translated to leave or go away. Because forgive means to cancel out a debt and let the people go their way as though nothing had ever happened. When you forgive, that's what you're supposed to do. I know some of you here have been done wrong. 
but you're not supposed to fight the people that did you wrong. Well, you don't hear that often, do you? You're not supposed to fight them. That's probably one of the things that stuck me in the hospital. I was fighting. I was fighting people. I was in real estate. If some guy crossed the street listed his house with another company other than me, I thought, well, what about me? I'm a real estate agent. Well, he's a Catholic. He goes to church with a bunch of Catholics. He listens with a Catholic. Why wouldn't he? How stupid was I? I was kind of a moron at that point. And you can't even think when you're out of your mind. And when you're angry, Saul couldn't think. He just knew, I'm losing my throne. Jonathan, why are you helping David? That was his son. And he he even tried to kill Jonathan. Twice tried to kill Jonathan. Jonathan loved David and believed in David. In fact, we were over here in 1 Samuel last week and I was trying to show you this is before David was appointed king of Israel in that 16th chapter back in the 14th chapter of 1 Samuel 1 Samuel is 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 just like a soap opera on TV I mean it's kind of the young and restless and bold and beautiful and as the world turns altogether, as I don't think all know, as the world turns is on the TV anymore. But we we've still got it going up here, and it was like people were killing each other, their families. They were taking the throne. Saul and David were distantly related. Not going to go into that now, but Saul was a. Well, they're all distantly related. They're all of Israel, aren't they? <laughs> all of Now, gosh, where do I begin? Saul has shown just how honorary he is. In the 11th chapter, he goes out to fight Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. Ammon was what we would call northern Jordan, right next door to Israel. And he lost his temper when he went into battle against the Ammonites. And then he, the 13th chapter, he's told to go to Gilgal. And Samuel tells him, anytime you're going to fight the enemy, go to Gilgal. That's, here's the Sea of Galilee, and here's the Dead Sea, and here's the Jordan River running out of the Sea of Galilee. The source of the Jordan River is the Sea of Galilee. And here's Israel. And Saul is... Saul told Samuel, anytime you're going to fight, go to Gilgal. You got Philistines living all... The land of the Philistines was down here, what we call the Gaza Strip. That was, that was also the land of the Philistines, and that was the land of Anak, when they were traveling through the wilderness, God told them to go up there and attack Anak with all those giants in the land. They said, we can't do that. And that's why God said, I'll put you in the wilderness for 40 years till you all die off, all the unbelievers die off. Well, the re- and they crossed the river, and the first place they encamped was Gilgal. But if you notice, Gilgal is equidistant 
from just about equidistance from northern Israel and southern Israel. And the reason he'd want them to go to Gilgal is because they had troops all over the land and they wanted time for them all to get here so that they could amass Israel troops here at Gilgal and attack whoever they needed to. The Philistines lived all over Israel. They had a lot of pagans living in Israel because when they came in after their 40 years in the wilderness, God told Israel to drive out all the pagans. And they didn't. They married them instead. Ask me what that's about. I don't know. I don't know what Israel's thinking. They intermarry all these sun and tree worshipers. So you've got them all over the land. By the time you get to David, they're everywhere. So they had to go to Gilgal. And the Lord would tell Samuel, go to Gilgal and wait till I come there. Samuel tells Saul, you go to Gilgal, wait till I get there. And when I get there, you can offer sacrifice. Well, Saul waited probably six and three quarters of a day. He didn't wait the full seven days. He had to wait seven days. So he went and grabbed a priest, got him to come over and offer a sacrifice, and Samuel wasn't there yet. He ignored Samuel. He ignored the instruction of God. Then he gets over here in the 14th chapter, and his son Jonathan. How much time do I have, Mike? All right. His son Jonathan loves David. David's not on the scene yet, but Jonathan is a godly man. And Saul is hiding in a cave at this point because he looked out, he sees thousands of of Philistines. They had just hundreds of chariots and men and horses, and they were so outnumbered, but but they had a promise from God. If they were obedient to him, they could go against their enemy one way and they'd flee seven ways. Evidently Jonathan believed this. So he's he and his armor bearer are down in this caves of Michmash and Jonathan says and Saul is hiding he's the king of Israel he's over in a cave hiding somewhere and Jonathan tells his armor bearer if these Philistines up on this cliff if they call us by name and reach down to pick us up and say come up here you bunch of Israelites, he said, me and you going to go up there and kill everybody that's up there. Just me and you. And Jonathan was uh, hard to deal with in battle. And his armor bearer, always an armor bearer, was the toughest man in the unit. And he always went with the captain. So the armor bearer, the men, those Philistines said, come on up. Jonathan said, let's go and do it. And they went up and they killed 20 Philistines as soon as they got up there. And God sends an earthquake and God sends his help to Jonathan. Well, as soon as Jonathan shows his faith towards God, Saul wants to take credit for this victory against the Philistines. Saul, who's been hiding in a cave over here. So Saul says, we're going to celebrate by calling a fast for the day. Anybody who eats any food is going to be put to death. 
before he finds out about his son Jonathan. Jonathan's been in battle. And he's killed all these people, led some men into battle against him. And Jonathan, while he's going through these this caves or whatever it is, a bunch of cliffs of rocks, Jonathan sees a bunch of honey on the wall. And Israel is a land flowing with milk and honey. To have lots of honey, you had to have a lot of bees there. And Jonathan takes his his club or his sword and reaches down and picks up some of that honey and eats that honey because he's tired and he's hungry and he's been in a battle. And Saul comes up and says, we're going to proclaim a fast for this day. Anyone who eats anything, and he's taking glory for it. Anything, anybody who eats anything, this day before sundown is going to be put to death. And Jonathan is eating some of that honey. And that's where we are right here. Let's read here in the 14th chapter. In the 14th chapter. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now and see who is gone from us. We want to know how many people is fighting in the army. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. They're the guys that come out and started this big fight. Just the two of them. And Saul said unto unto Ahijah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at the time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the hosts of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a great discomfiture. They were discomforted. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. The ones that were hiding is going to take some credit. You see that? And the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth Avon. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies, so none of the people tasted any food except Jonathan, the one who was the hero. And all they of the land came to a wood, or the woods, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath of Saul. And Jonathan heard not when his father charged. He didn't hear about it. But he's the guy who led the battle. He's the hero. And the people with the oath whereof he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it into honeycomb and put its hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. And they answered, then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people 
with an oath saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father has troubled the land. My father has troubled the land. Jonathan's telling on his father right here. He was hiding in a cave while Jonathan was willing to step forward and fight the battle by himself. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. And the people were very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people, the people sin against the Lord in that they eat with blood. And he said, You have transgressed, roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox and every man his sheep, and slay them here and eat, and sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. Now this was Saul's idea to come up with this decree. Wasn't God's idea. Samuel didn't tell him to do that. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night and slew them there. Saul's just going to take it on himself to start killing people according to this decree that he made so he can take some glory for the victory over the Philistines. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord, and the same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, Let us go down from the Philist- after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them and they said do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee then said the high priest let us draw near hither unto God and Saul asked counsel all this time Saul got a bad attitude Saul asked counsel of God shall I go down after the Philistines wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel but God answered him not. God says, I'm not listening to a man who regards iniquity in his heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, David said. And Saul said, draw ye near hither all the chief of the people. You're going to find this is one of many times that God wouldn't listen to Saul. You can't pray to God when you're not bound to his will. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. Boy, this is an arrogant man. Even through all this, David loved Saul. He let him off the hook. But there was not a man among all the people that answered Saul when he said, Jonathan's going to die. And everybody's looking at him going, are you kidding? He was the hero. Then said he unto Israel, be on one side and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, 
do what seemeth good unto thee. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan then were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. Jonathan told him and said, I did taste a little honey with the end of the rod was in mine hand, and lo, I must die? What are you talking about, Dad? It's like, he was outrageous. He does the same thing with David, and David spares his life. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. Saul is telling his son, after he leads him to victory, that you're going to die makes you want to hit this guy in the mouth <laughs> several, several times yeah love your enemy he was David had more grace than most of us have and the people said unto Saul shall Jonathan die who has wrought this great salvation in Israel he's the guy that led us to this victory what's wrong with you king God forbid. The people are saying, we forbid it. You're not killing Jonathan. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. They knew who was right. They knew that Saul was full of himself. Then Saul went up from the following the Philistines. The Philistines went to their own place. It's over. The situation, Jonathan, over. Okay, he gets off the hook. Because y'all made me do it. So Saul took the kingdom over. It's, that's funny how that is. Okay, the end. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? He's not even going to fight the people. Saul was should have been a, a stand-up comic, you know. He was, he was a comedian. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies to every side, against Moab and the children of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines, whithersoever he turned himself, and he vexed them. It's funny. It's just, forget Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan, you're back to being my son. I, I can't get over that. That's just astounding to me. And he gathered in hosts and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishui, Melchishua, and the names of his daughters were these. The name of the firstborn, Merab. That's the one he's going to promise to David because he killed Goliath. But he gave her away. You can't believe nothing he says. When David goes out, he tells David, I want you to be head of my bodyguard, and uh, I want you to go out here among the Philistines and get me two, get me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That means to emasculate him, take their genitalia to, in a sack to, to Saul. David went out and got 200. What's the idea of that? So that these would never be able to reproduce enemies against Saul. And then the name of the younger was Michael. 
Well, when Saul, when David goes out to fight the Philistines and kills them all, and he comes in, and Saul said, well, I gave him a rab away. You can't believe nothing Saul says. And he's going to kill David. And what's David going to do? Nothing. Says, I'm going to leave him in God's hands. You can start with Saul. And Saul was a believer. It shows you just how bad believers can be. Michael, so he says, since I gave away my beautiful daughter, Merab, you can have my daughter, Michael. And then then Saul immediately proceeds to try to kill David in the 19th chapter. And Michael rescues David. But she turns out to be a a jerk. (laughs) Because she's trying to correct David in his ways. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam and the daughter of Ahimeaz, and the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Nair. Abner means son of Nair. Ab means father, and his father was Nair. Nair, the father of Abner, was the son of Abel. There was a sore war against the Philistines in all the days of Saul. When Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. He was trying to build up a great army. Now, do I have any more time, Mike? Five. The 15th chapter is where Samuel comes to Saul and says, You missed some men at Amalek. I want you to go down to Amalek and utterly destroy everybody at Amalek. Kill all the men, women, and children. That's something most people don't understand. Never heard a preacher even address it. When he goes to Amalek, Amalek is just in the desert here between Israel here and Egypt over here, just in the desert. Amalek, when Israel came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, the Amalekites, Amalek, attacked Israel unprovoked for no reason. This is 200 years later. And Saul is told by Samuel at this point, 200 years later, to go into Amalek and utterly destroy them. Evidently, God knew the hearts of the people at Amalek. They had a pagan king. They were pagans. They didn't use any of the cleanliness laws, none of the uh, quarantine laws that Israel had. And God knows that they probably got all kinds of disease down there. And it could have been given to the baby. So he says, kill everything down there. Well, Saul comes back after the battle at Amalek. And Samuel sees him. He said, did you do the will of God against Amalek? This is in the 15th chapter. Saul said, oh, yes, I went down there and did utterly the will of God. And Samuel says, then what is this bleating of the sheep? This bad of these sheep. Where'd you get all them sheep? Well, the people, I couldn't help it. They made me bring back some of the good sheep so we could have a sacrifice. That's not what God said. God said, kill them all. Because they're probably carrying disease. So... Samuel looks at Saul and says one of the greatest things that's ever said in the Bible. 
And it's, he's going to say to us to obey is better than when he says sacrifice, he means this ritual that they were going to do. To obey is better than the ritual you perform by saying, I go to church and do my duty by attending. And you don't change your life out here in the world. You're not really involved in sacrifice to God. He said to obey is better than ritual in your life. Well, that's when Samuel says, your day is over, Saul. Now, this is the, the 16th chapter is a key chapter of the book of Samuel. That's where Saul, uh, excuse me, Samuel goes down to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, Judah. He goes south. Bethlehem is where David is from. And Bethlehem is where Jesus was born. So he goes down to Bethlehem, Judah. And he goes to the house of Jesse. He tells Jesse, God has chosen one of your sons to be king of Israel. And Jesse says, it must be Eliab. I've got a son that's in Saul's army. He's taller than anybody except Saul. Saul was real tall. Saul was the tallest man in Israel. And he says, no, it's none of these seven you brought before me. Don't you have any more sons? He said, I got the youngest, and he keeps the sheep. Samuel says, I'm not leaving till you bring him in front of me. So he brings him to him. God says, this is him. This is David, my eternal king. And he becomes king of Israel that day. But in the people's eyes, Saul is still king. And Saul is accusing David of stealing his throne when it was God that gave the throne to David. When God does something in your life, when your life ends up a certain way that you don't like and you're able to survive, keep going, you're too accepted. Paul said, what amazes me is something Paul said, and preachers try to make something out of it. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He was in a Roman jail. He wrote that in Philippians 4.11. He's in a Roman jail waiting to be executed. And he said, I've learned to be content. Content is the word autarkes. It comes from auto. And arcase. Arkeo. It means to ward off or push away self. I finally learned to push myself away and be content with what's going to happen. I'm about to be executed. What are you going to wait till it's time to die before you learn to accept the things that God's put in your life? We're supposed to believe God like David did. But David falls off the wagon later on. He commits adultery and murder. But when he's when he is rebuked by Nathan, he repents immediately. We'll get to that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. God, help us to realize we are exactly where we're supposed to be. Even help me realize that more every day, Lord. Whatever happens in this ministry is your will. It's not mine. I didn't start this. You started it. People want to kick me off the position of being the preacher. 
You deal with them as you see fit. That's your will. Thank you for truth. Fight our enemies. We can't do that anymore. In Christ's name we pray, man. Judy, did you learn anything? Huh? Learn to quit fighting people. It don't do any good, does it? Have you ever fought anybody and changed their mind? What? Have you ever fought anybody and changed their mind? No, it just makes them angry. <laughs> That's right. Notice how much God changes people when he gets ready to deal with them. Well, when God deals with them, they'll change. When you deal with them, they won't. Leave them alone and he'll make them have a stroke or a heart attack or whatever, you know. And he'll say, I'm going to have my way. You can't have yours.